0: Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Ricardo Perro, who's the CEO and co-founder of Sellers Funding. He has 20 years of experience in corporate treasury and wealth and asset management. He's an investor and advisor to companies in the US and Latin. Ricardo has taken on various directory roles in leading financial institutions such as David Morgan, Citibank, and Merrill Lynch. Uh, Ricardo has done his MBA in finance from Columbia University. Welcome to the show, Ricardo. All
1: right, thank you for having me here.
0: Awesome. So, uh, so uh, I w- wanted to understand, you know, how did your journey start into into this crazy world of startups and what got you uh to, to start sellers funding?
1: Yeah, so um, a little bit of my background. I, I moved to the U.S. in, in 2000, working for Citi. Okay. And um, I mean, in my 50 year, 15 years of, of, of uh, banking, uh, I kind of specialize in, in building or restructuring areas from the ground up. My first big assignment was a JV between Citi and Salomon Smith Barney back then. Uh, in, in the early 2000s. So I kind of got that flavor of, you know, building things from the ground up. And of course, when you do that, working for a big organization, you have all the resources. So it's kind of, uh, I thought it was hard, but it was easy, right? Because you you were a phone call away from calling the, the legal team or, uh, you know, treasury or finance, and you have all the resources available to you. And then I end up learning the hard way that starting a company from the ground up is completely different. Yeah. But that's how I started. I think that that was probably the foundation for for me to to start sellers funding and, and to leave a big organization to, to start my own business.
0: Correct. And uh, and why specifically sellers funding? Well, you know, did you were you thinking about this idea for for quite a long time and that too common?
1: Yeah. I wasn't actually uh, no i when i left JPMorgan, morgan i had two things in mind I, I i knew that i wouldn't i i wouldn't go back to work for a big bank
0: okay
1: uh i, I wanted to learn something new and apply my experience to build something meaningful um Chip Morgan is kind of an exception of, I, I think they do a better job than other banks in terms of uh, investing and partnering with, with startups and technology companies. Um, and I learned a lot there, but I think that in general, the financial industry has a lot of legacy uh, in, in, their, uh, you know, in the way that they approach and manage their, their technology. And there is plenty of room for fintech companies to disrupt. Uh, so when I left there, I had no specific agenda or a specific idea. I said, I'm gonna do some consulting jobs here and there and talk to as many people as I can. And then one day, a friend of mine called me. He moved his wholesale business from his website. Uh, he started selling on Amazon, ended up opening three, four stores. And then he called and said, Ricardo, I, you know, I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm I'm selling 10 times what I used to sell six months ago, and I need work, man, I I, I need help, I need working capital, I need to reorganize my finances, I need to understand all the fees that Amazon is charging me, and I don't have a CFO, so I said, okay, I'll I'll do that, I'll play that role for for some time. going to help you raise capital and that's how um i started to i start to know a little bit more about the industry and when i talk to banks i always thought okay amazon multi-billion dollar industry uh the marketplace has thousands uh, hundreds of thousands of smes selling into the marketplace should be a piece of cake and to my my surprise banks were not equipped to underwrite the risk. And we are talking about over five years ago. So, and, and, and they still are struggling to, to understand that. And, um, and in the other side of the spectrum, you have these merchant cash advance companies, revenue-based lending companies, and they charge too much. That, uh, and I thought, okay, there must be something in between. And then when I did my research, there wasn't something in between. And I thought there was a, uh, an opportunity there. That's where I started uh, to, to build the model and, and to create idea of, of sellers funding and develop the company from that idea to where we are today.
0: Very interesting. Uh, you, you, you talked about revenue-based financing. And you know before the call, we were talking about you know how I did a thesis on revenue-based financing. And, and I agree that the, uh, the, some of the charges Are a little on the high side, but you know how seller financing different from say merchant advance or revenue based financing. Are there any big apps when it comes to uh, you know the charges or fees or to the e-commerce seller? Yeah,
1: Uh, so when you look at what's happening to the world now, like you have, when I started the business five years ago, the lead time from purchase order to sale, depending where your supplier is located could take up to 90 days. Nowadays can take up to 180 days. Oh, okay. When you think about uh, this revenue-based lending uh, solutions, you usually take the money and then you need to start paying right away. Right? Right, right? And usually they offer a very short-term solution up to six months, no more than six months. Hmm, true. You don't even have time to Receive the product and 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 receive some of the proceeds from from the sale. Uh, so, back then, what we did was we created a, a, a solution that covered that lead time from purchase order to sale up to ninety days. Nowadays, we are offering up to one hundred eighty days to high qualified clients, and um, that's an interest only period. So the. the cash out, the cash flow that you're uh, using is very low. You're you're paying just interest on the amount outstanding and you start amortizing after six months. That flexibility allows us to work with better quality uh, uh, and merchants that actually understand the need of of cash flow and use that, that cash flow to grow. Uh, that differentiates us from most of our competitors. Uh, some of our competitors now are offering 12 months, but still you need to start paying immediately after. Uh, and when you take into consideration the, the small fee that they charge, they, they claim that they, they're talking about small fee, but when you have to churn that money or that fee three times, four times throughout the year. Right. I mean, you add all the fees that you end up paying, it's way more than what we charge. Um, and I love the way that they position themselves because they say that is um, non-dilutive capital.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, not even talking about my MBA, I'm talking about Finance 101 in my undergrad. There are only two types of capital, like equity and debt. Non-dilutive capital is debt. So the, <laughs> <laughs> that's pure marketing.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree to that. And, uh, you know, when it comes to revenue-based financing uh, models, they usually talk about $10,000 uh, as, uh, as an MRR. Do, do you have any qualifying criteria for e-commerce companies to be accepted into sales funding?
1: No, we, we usually require six months of online sales history. Okay. Uh, a little bit more. We, we're talking about twenty five thousand dollars of, of monthly sales.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, and we we can start with that. Uh, we can start with that. Um, usually our average transaction size is is a little, I'd say, larger than most of our competitors. So okay. that that's kind of uh, how. And the the other thing that we also do here at Sellers Funding that most of the competing companies offer, we we have the ability to to offer to foreign companies selling the U.S. uh, working capital solutions. So we build in the last two, three years, uh, a digital wallet. We have a partnership. Um, We we use uh, Citibank's uh, global infrastructure, uh, to offer our clients the ability to collect uh, receivables in multiple countries, we we have a physical presence in the UK, and we also work with Canada in Europe. So uh, we we have that cross-border element that most of our competitors don't have.
0: Interesting. So so you could be a UK-based company and apply for, on telefunding, That's that's interesting.
1: Yeah, the way I think about this, e-commerce is global, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if we look at only the U.S. or one specific country, we're going to be probably leaving a lot of people out. And yeah. and the idea is to to attract as as many customers as as possible.
0: Interesting. And um and uh, w- what's the turnaround for you know applying on the platform and getting the funding and how do you get the revenue data from merchants?
1: So up to hundred thousand dollars, we are talking about a very quick turnaround. I would say from application to disbursement, usually is 48 to 72 hours. Okay. Uh, anything above hundred thousand dollars, we will uh, require some extra due diligence, depending on the size of the facility, it may take a week or so. It depends on how fast the, the, the information is available for us to perform the entire underwriting process. But okay. say uh, a reasonable turnaround would be a week for larger transactions.
0: Okay, got it. And how do you, how do you get the revenue data from merchants, especially when it comes to you know, marketplaces?
1: So we, we have connectivity uh, through APIs. Okay. with about 10 platforms these days okay. and and platforms and, and other partners so we pretty much we make we, we try to make the the onboarding process as seamless as possible to our clients and so there are four steps the so first step they, they they provide all their um, in, uh, personal and, and, and business information then they connect to, to the marketplace or, or platform they, they work with. Um, and everything else we we upload from from the marketplace or, or the platform that they work with. We, we also connect with their bank account uh, through Plaid. So we cross, we have a cross-reference between the marketplace information and the bank account information. And with that, we have. Probably like ninety five percent of the information we need to to underwrite the, the customer.
0: Interesting, and uh, you know, Amazon's third party seller marketplace had generated anywhere from twenty five billion to around you know thirty billion dollars in profits in two thousand twenty. So, what makes online platforms so powerful for direct to consumer companies?
1: I would say. Um, The omni-channel platforms or, or online platforms, they, they, they benefit a lot during the pandemic okay. uh, because people will spend more time <laughs> in front of their computers. And the convenience of, of shopping online uh, played a big role in the way e-commerce grew in the past couple of years. I think that we're going to see a little bit of... Uh, I would say I wouldn't say a reverse to the mean. I, I, I still think that e-commerce faced uh, a structural shift and, and uh, uh, saw a structural shift in the way consumers behave. Probably we won't grow as fast as we grew in the in, in, the, in the past two years. We're gonna see more of a, a stable growth this year. But yeah. Uh, the, the, main, the main drive is being consumer, consumer behavior. Uh, and I, I think that we'll, we'll still be benefiting and those direct-to-consumer brands that uh, were able to, to shift from, I'll say a more a brick and mortar presence to a stronger online presence will benefit from this structural shift in the years to come.
0: But, and um Ricardo you know before the call uh, we, we were discussing about you know direct to consumer brands versus amazon sellers and uh you know what what would be the main difference and and do you think uh, what advice would you give to amazon sellers if they want to branch out of amazon or they're looking at you know different marketplaces
1: yeah the, the main difference is how how much you spend on on marketing and, and, and on branding right okay. so when you're selling on amazon you you're probably not spending as much money on branding as you would if trying to to, to sell out of the Amazon ecosystem. Uh, with Amazon or other marketplaces, you you're probably li- you're leasing your product and gaining access to, to In case of Amazon, you know almost a billion people. i would say uh, you have the majority of U.S. households buying on Amazon, so uh, it's a very powerful marketplace and you benefit a lot from that, but you don't have, you have very limited data uh, about your consumers uh, and you cannot leverage that much the data, whatever data you can get. Uh, When you build your direct-to-consumer brand outside of any marketplace, I would say you have a stronger Equity, like a more valuable business, because you have more data about your consumer. Uh, you're going to be able to to be once you get to that stage, you'll probably be uh, in a better position to to decide about new product li- launches uh, and, and create promotions around uh, holiday seasons and, and manage seasonality and so on. Uh, I'll say that it's a it's a Takeaway one one thing is to gain scale uh, faster through the marketplace, right. paying some fees to the marketplace. The other way the the other way to grow is invest heavily outside of the marketplace. Invest heavily in, in attracting consumers uh, to your website. It's it's a takeaway. It's not easy. I would say the bulk of our clients. They start with Amazon and at some point they have the financial strength strength to to grow outside of Amazon and they invest in in that branding outside of Amazon to paid media, Google, Facebook, Instagram, and so on. Um, But there is no right or wrong answer. It's just a matter of what what you need first or what you want to achieve first.
0: Got it, interesting. you know, you talked about Instagram and, uh, you know, it said that Instagram and Facebook will be, uh, you know, uh, the largest, uh, second largest digital shopping platform by the end of 2020. Uh, and, you know, the other marketplaces, uh, which are also coming up, but uh, where, do you, where do you figure Amazon, oh, sorry, eBay uh, in this in this marketplace battle? Do you think eBay has a stronghold in the UK or is it is it like a dying marketplace?
1: I wouldn't say it's a dying marketplace, but but I would say it's probably a, a stagnant marketplace. I haven't seen meaningful growth from eBay. I would say they, they probably struggle to attract larger accounts. It's a very fragmented uh, marketplace when you have a lot of smaller sellers selling there. Um, eBay in the past was you have that stigma of you know marketplace for used used products uh, which is not the case anymore but I, I think that that stick with, with their brand and I don't see for example our, our biggest and more successful Amazon sellers when they think about a second marketplace they don't they don't think about eBay probably they, they would think about Walmart yeah. or even uh, Selling in different marketplaces, uh, Amazon marketplaces outside of the U.S.
0: Interesting. Got it. And um, uh, you know, uh, talking about Amazon uh, marketplaces, what what are the other retail companies doing to combat, uh, you know, Amazon's massive marketplace? Especially, you talk about Walmart. Uh, they they are, there's a very interesting uh, story because you know they are investing a lot into drones uh, and doing delivery to that, but. What are some of these retail companies doing to, uh, to come back? Yeah, if you think about geographic
1: coverage and financial strength, Walmart has everything that, that is required to challenge Amazon, right? right. Um, I would say when I look at other giants, uh, I would say Target is doing a very good job um selling online I would say uh, Costco has the tools to to be a, a major player in, in online sales as well um but I'm sure that the next Amazon is is not a giant I'm sure that the next Amazon is probably someone that is listening to us yeah. right now uh it's gonna come with a disruptive idea and uh, I wish I knew what <laughs> that idea would be, uh, but for now I stick with with my my fintech background.
0: Interesting, and um, um, you know, outside of Google Ads and uh, Facebook Ads, uh, how effective are Amazon advertising? And do you think you know it's it's really picking up, and that's something most yeah. of the e-commerce sellers would focus on.
1: Yeah, I, I would say probably if you look at paid media is the area that grow, grew the most uh, among all the fees that the marketplace charges, uh, paid media grew the most. I think Amazon is doing a, a very good job in capitalizing the number of sellers and the number of listings they have and, and, and creating that foundation for for companies to advertise there and compete for uh on their PPC place, let's put this way. Um so yeah, uh, I would say it's not as big as Google, okay. of course. Uh but I would say in terms of in comparative terms, I, I think that even Amazon outpaced Google in terms of, of growth percentage wise in the next in the last three, two, three years
0: got it and um uh, and, you know uh, the, the biggest benefit of amazon prime especially in countries like uh, you know india uk us and everywhere is the same day shipping do you think the same day shipping would become a standard in coming years with all the marketplace and in the most of the retail companies
1: Yeah, there, there's, there's a, this is a must right
0: yeah
1: if i mean consumers go to the marketplace and, and nowadays the amazon set the the bar really high yeah I mean, when you think about uh, the U.S., uh, I mean, the size of the U.S., and it doesn't matter if you are here or if if you... I'm in Florida. If I'm in Florida, in the Middle West or in the West Coast or in the Northeast, if I order a product, I'm going to get that product, if not the same day, next day. Yeah. Uh, that's a, a very powerful... Uh, quality that Amazon offers to to its consumers and anyone that wants to challenge Amazon must offer at least the same
0: service. Right. And um, uh, you know, especially during the COVID times, a lot of suppliers were dependent on Chinese manufacturers. Uh, do you think the reliance on Chinese manufacturing is something a lot, lot of e-commerce sellers are thinking about on how to how do they, uh, uh, you know, dissociate themselves from these manufacturers? Because you know, what, what if uh, some products will? Do you think some products will cease to exist if there's a trade war which escalates between US and China?
1: Yeah, um, there is a. I would say since last year, we've been witnessing an increasing. Um, interest in finding suppliers in, in Latin America to replace the Chinese supplies or either other countries in, in Asia. But I would say if I if I would rank all the countries that are benefiting from this trend, I would say Mexico is probably the number one. Sure. Um, it's very convenient in um, logistically speaking as is, is Right, right across the corner, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I would say LATAM in general, if they are smart, they could benefit a lot from, from that um, geopolitical situation that we have with China.
0: Got it. And uh, do you have any advice for, for Amazon sellers who want to build their, their brand uh, on Amazon and if you know they're competing in a, in a product category with Amazon basics? Uh, Should they get out of that market or, you know, what what are your thoughts on that?
1: It's hard to to find. uh, I would say the the biggest challenge for any seller is to find a niche that uh, can be easy to scale, right? Right. Um, You got a... So I'm originally from Brazil. And I've been approached by so many companies from Brazil that they they have a great product, but it's very specific for the country. I mean, you need to have a product that is not only known in the US, but you can easily uh, invest in advertisement. You you can easily... uh, invest in some keywords to make that rank well and put you in front of the of the consumer in the first page of Amazon. Those are kind of requirements. You, but, but it's tough to have that balance between easily to easy to rank
0: right.
1: and very easy to easy easily to invest in advertisement, but also easy to rank because easy to rank means you you don't have to ma- Too much competition, but what I mean it's it's kind of a a very delicate balance Hmm. uh, because if you have a lot consumer uh, consumers looking for that product, probably you have a lot of competition, and your cost to advertise is going to be high. Hmm. There is a balance there that needs to be taken into consideration. The other thing is that uh, the higher the the unit value of your product, the better. Okay. Uh, and you also need to take into consideration uh, dimensions and, and, and weight for your product because that, that's gonna have also a meaningful impact in your logistics cost. Those I would say three, if you look at from a PL perspective, always look at uh, logistics, advertisement as two key factors that will impact your profitability. Uh, sure. and, and I would say those, those are the determinants of your success or, uh, or not in the yeah. marketplace.
0: Correct. So, so you're saying logistics and, uh, and the product cost? And advertisement. Advertising, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Completely agree on that. And yeah. uh, uh, what are your thoughts on Shane? Uh, do you think uh, it's it's a uh, it's one of the most used products in in the US? I was pretty surprised on that, but uh, but but do you think Shane can be a great competitor to to Amazon going forward as, as a marketplace?
1: I mean, the 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 big question is um, if you look at. Amazon, apart from all the qualities that we just uh, talked about, the vast majority of US households are prime users.
0: Right?
1: right? So any challenging competitor will have to get into, into a meaningful position among the US households to be to uh to be in a, in a place to to challenge amazon and to be successful. Um and I, I think they are uh they're scaling and, and I would say they are doing a good job. Yeah.
0: Uh
1: in in but I would I would say it's still the US is still a very consolidated market, if I look at, uh, we have, a, like I told you, we have a presence in London, uh, in the UK, and we cover the UK and Europe out of, of the UK. The Over there, we have a number of uh, regional marketplaces and niche marketplaces. Right. The market there is well, well more fragmented than here. And I would say here still need to we, we still need to see that that to happen and and challenges like Shane and, uh, and other companies still need to prove that they can scale yeah. in, in the marketplace. Consumers are here. No no questions
0: asked. Very interesting. And you know I, I wanted to uh, understand you know since you are a CEO of of, of a fintech company how do you how do you decide what to focus on. Uh, in your day-to-day
1: uh, day-to-day basis um it's interesting we we raised capital last year
0: right.
1: and my partner and i uh we used to wear multiple hats yeah. and uh i was in charge of finance risk um a piece of you know sales but compliance operations and he was in charge of technology marketing and I thought, okay, now that we raise capital, we're going to build a stronger team and we're going to hire some senior folks and they will help us. Um, and I realized that I'm not working less because I hire more people. It's just that I, actually, um, I became, if I don't delegate, I, I will become a bottleneck. So the way I... I, I manage my time these days. I have uh, weekly touch points with the different areas that report to me hmm. okay. uh, in, the, in the morning. We have an open call okay. with, uh, with the key areas like uh, sales, business development, marketing, and credit and operations to go over our daily pipeline. It doesn't take more than 15 minutes, but I think it's a great exercise to for newcomers to absorb the company culture and to understand what matters and what not. The call takes 15 minutes, but we have like 50 people on the call uh-huh. and it's a very proactive call um with participants talking openly about the pipeline and their challenges and 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 priorities for the day uh, so that that culture building um, exercise for me it it's crucial for for us to be successful as as a startup that is grown from like 25 people in 2020 to 200 people Today, um, and I spend most of my time making sure that the newcomers will 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 be able to 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 promote that culture and 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 continue that culture with with their direct reports.
0: So, super super interesting, and um, you know, if you look at uh the investment sentiment which is going on these days, uh. Uh, the talks about recession, um, you know, what advice would you give to e-commerce sellers? You think, you you mentioned earlier that you don't think that, uh, that the growth is gonna be as high it was in the last two years, but you know, what, what advice would you give to e-commerce sellers on how should they look at financing their growth?
1: Yeah, uh, and I think that's gonna be, the environment has shifted a little bit to a more negative uh, sentiment in the, in the last couple of months. Okay. Uh, if you look at the, the industries that benefit the most in the last two years, I think e-commerce is right there. Yeah. Um, and there will be some meaningful, I, I expect to see meaningful reduction in in, equity, in the appetite for investors to invest in equity related deals in the equity piece of, of, of deals. So um, most of our companies, of our clients, they, they start from bootstrapping their, their businesses. Right. Um, some of them, they, they brought in outside investors to invest in the company uh, at early stage. But I would say for now, I would try to, find alternative source of capital to to actually to bridge the next 12 months of growth or or investment that they they foresee Uh, i think the market will be extremely challenging for new equity investors in this uh industry in the next uh six to 12 months and you know Finding and, and, and the main main need to um, use of proceeds. Let's put it this way that uh, they will need is probably for uh, inventory purchases, uh, advertising, branding. So there are plenty of so plenty of solutions we provide solutions. Uh, other competitors provide solutions that are uh, debt related, non dilutive. If you want to use their jargon. Right. Uh, but I would I would look for longer term solutions uh, that are debt related, especially for the next 12 months. If you can avoid uh, raising equity in the next six months, you would benefit from like a more stable environment after after hopefully after year end.
0: Interesting. And- Um, I quickly want to rule the top three. What's your favorite business book?
1: What It Takes, Stephen Schwartz. Uh, It's not favorite, but it's something that I I read recently. It's very interesting. Um, It's a a big book. It took me a while to to listen. When I moved from New York to Florida, in New York, I used to take the train to the city. Uh, and I used to to read or listen to to a book uh, once and at least one hour going in, one hour going back. Yeah. And now I have a fifteen minute drive, so I don't <laughs> I don't listen to too many books. Uh, so it took me a while to
0: to finish the book. Oh, interesting. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. And you know, if you could go back in time when you started sales uh, uh, and I think what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently?
1: differently yes yeah. I' say exactly this exercise that we what we are talking about um, about finding the right balance between equity and debt yeah. um, I would say uh, you know, having um, um, spending more time thinking about that the right balance and, and, and bringing the right partners is, is key to To secure uh, a sound foundation for for the company to grow.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, completely agree on that. And um, and what's your favorite online tool? For example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. I
1: like um, I like Gmail. I like Gmail because it's kind of easy to use. You can have uh, you have different tools, and you have uh, you can book online meetings. We we use Zoom a lot, but I don't mind using Gmail because everything you, you have Google Docs, you have uh, so so many tools that are all consolidated into one.
0: Connor, absolutely, I'm doing this one of my favorite products. Uh, we we'll put down in the show notes, uh, Connor, What what is the best uh, place people can reach out to you and know more about Sellers Funding? Uh,
1: Look at our website, uh, sellersfunding.com or um, my email, ricardo at sellersfunding.com.
0: Got it, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And ricardo, thank you so much for taking our, your time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Oh, thank you.